Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Now they can say, okay, we've got the funding to be able to pay the client's wages and reimburse the employer, and the employer does not have to pay a cent out of their pocket to be able to train the new employee. And if they're really satisfied with them, they can go ahead and hire them. So that was great. That basically gave you enough time to learn the job, the employer enough time to get to know you and get to respect your skills level. And at the end of three months? At the end of three months, they were very satisfied with what I did. And yeah, they went ahead and hired me. You know, it was so exciting to be able to finally get a job of my own. And today's show is about our guest story about how she overcame some of the hurdles of being visually impaired and trying to find employment. We'll speak with Ulysses Harmony Garcia about her successful path landing a rewarding job. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Ulysses Garcia. What I would recommend is there are a couple of options if you want to establish like a financial future. One is the individual development account. So if you're like interested in a small business or education or first time home purchase, you can look at those. Um, I believe every state has an IDA program. Um, in addition, there's also an asset building program that can help you things like with getting a credit builder loan or a secured credit card. And those can also help um, build your credit so that you can use them long term should you need to. Great advice. And that can be a real stepping stone to other ventures. Yeah, it's something I wish I had done a long time ago, and I wish I had known about it sooner. But now, of course, things have gotten better, and now you can get your credit report in Braille, for instance. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Envision Glasses, a smart glasses solution that helps visually impaired people read text, recognize objects, make video calls, and much more. Information and demos are available at CSUN booth number 1011 or at com slash glasses. And by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Ulysses. Hi, uh, my name is Ulysses Garcia. My pronouns are she or they. Um, I'm currently working with a company that um, hires instructors and public relations associates and admins and things like that. And we pretty much teach a variety of different topics, including music, voice, singing. And we have two physical locations. I am 27 years old. I live in beautiful Green State, Portland, Oregon. And what is the status of your vision? I am completely blind and started losing some hearing at around age seven or eight. So I still relatively have good understanding of um, language and things like that. I have an older brother who is two years older than I am, and he is 
deafblind, like Helen Keller, and pretty much doesn't have the kind of communication that I have, um, although we've been working a little bit on that. Our focus topic for today is how you were able to get your current job. But you've had a wide variety of experiences. What are some of the other jobs you've had? Apart from the company that I work for, I've also done some independent work on my own. For example, starting a blog in 2013 after I graduated um, school. Um, I took lessons in Linux development and things like that in 2017 so I kind of switched over my blog there um and then I have started thinking about writing like a memoir or different kinds of um books that I might want to traditionally publish someday in case um self-publishing didn't work out for whatever reason so that's pretty much what I do in a nutshell so the company I work for is your lessons now and that's how I got in touch with you guys I assume since you're teaching music you are also a musician yeah, I have um, about 15, 20 years of self-taught music skills. In 2002, I got a keyboard, and then I kind of gave up for a while. But I kind of went back and visited that again, because um, I, you know, I was just bored and I wanted to try something. So I was kind of glad I got that keyboard for present. From that point on, I started um, kind of, even as I was losing some of that hearing, I was still enjoying music, and I still have, you know, that perfect pitch. And now you have a job where you get to share your love of music with others. Yeah. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is how Ulysses was able to get her rewarding job that she has now. Before we get into some of the details of your life and the obstacles you've had to overcome in terms of being a member of several groups that are underrepresented and of which people have certain biases and prejudices about, I thought maybe you could tell us as a person who is blind and hard of hearing what assistive devices you make use of in your daily life? Yeah, so when I was in school, I started out using like um, an FM, analog FM system, which is basically a device paired to your hearing aids via a telecoil. It communicates via radio frequencies. And uh, on a side note, I'm a ham radio operator, KJ7ERC, if I call sign. So I kind of had an understanding of um, how neck loop inductions work. So I started using that at first, and then when I graduated, I got my very own digital FM system. Nowadays, everything is digital and Bluetooth, so you don't really need to worry about using an FM. Although, if you're going to venue, it's very nice to know that they have assistive listening devices, which has really helped a lot because if you're in an auditorium and you know you're trying to listen onto the speaker, it's very echoey, very uh, there's a lot of reverberation, and it makes it very difficult to hear what's going on. So um, I also use a screen reader. I use NVDA with, um, right now I'm using speech, but sometimes I will use a butterfly. I know that's kind of unhealthy, but I do have the volume pretty high um, for what I'm able to do. But yeah, sometimes I will use a butterfly or I use the speech. Uh, my screen reader to follow along with text or stuff like that. I mostly read e-text audio. Like, I know a lot of blind people say, oh, I don't like the screen reader since they're reading me 
but I prefer it because I can read along with the, the spelling. I can check the spelling. I can learn how things are pronounced. I can do a whole bunch of things that I wouldn't be able to do with a narrated audiobook. Well, the digital world has opened up a myriad of possibilities for us these days, and it's nice to be able to have some choices. And it sounds like you certainly use a mix of different technologies depending on the task at hand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm using as far as assistive technology. Um, I've done a tech assessment um, in 2006 for um, one of the blind schools and kind of determined, okay, these are things that you can use. You can have a computer, a note taker. Uh, of course, now it's the iPhone. Um, and, of course, you know, the audiologist did, did the hearing stuff. So both of those things can work together. Um, in fact, I did a presentation in 2011 to kind of show teachers of the visually impaired how you can pair these devices together and be able to communicate with teachers instantaneously. You know, because before I had to think all of my assignments at the end of the day and then email them the next day. Well, I figured out maybe there's a bit of an easy way to do that. So um, that kind of helped too. You sound very tech savvy. Can you give us an idea of your educational background? Yeah. I went to mainstream school from 1999 to 2012, um, K-12 education. Um, I did a couple of summer camps through the Oregon School for the Blind and the Washington State School for the Blind in between, like, I don't know, 2004, 2007, uh, kind of that area. And then I did some extracurricular activities in high school, especially when I found out they were going to do The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz is one of my very favorite musicals. And so I was excited to be able to participate in the sound crew. So I got to operate the soundboard and understand things like, even with my hearing loss, I was still trying to understand like the games and the preamps and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, and then um, after I graduated, I went to a 10-month transition program, which helps blind people kind of develop more responsibility in independent living and career exploration and things like that. So yeah, I mean, everything I do is pretty much self-taught and things that I read online. And after all of that training, what happened when it came time to look for a job? So when I initially kind of went back and forth, do I want to go to school or do I want to get a job? So I thought about maybe going back and get back to school, but there were some political issues that I kind of struggled with that made me hesitant, which I don't really want to get into for the podcast. But um, then I went into some financial hardship um, five, five years ago and I thought, okay, well, maybe getting a job might be a good idea. And I knew I could do a lot. I knew I could convince somebody that I could not have these talents and skills, maybe I just need more training on how to do them specifically to their expectations. And what kind of training did you get subsequent to that? So what I ended up having to do was, well, kind of back up, because getting that kind of job required me to take certain steps. So maybe it would be like, okay, so first I opened the case with vocational rehabilitation, you know, the Oregon Commission for the Blind. And I told them I'm interested in maybe getting a job. So in 2016, I took a couple of classes in things like meal preparation, woodworking, hands-on. It's more like to develop your hands-on skills than to you know, turn into cabinet maker. That's what it's designed for. And then I did a tech assessment um, where they taught me how to use like Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Outlook over like a four-week period. Yeah, so that's, that's the kind of training I initially received before getting my job. 
So it sounds like basically they were teaching you a lot of life skills as well as skills that would be useful in potentially looking for a job. Yeah, correct. Did you find this helpful? I did, yeah. I think it was um, very useful to know, you know, Microsoft Excel, for example, because I use, a lot, I use Microsoft Excel a lot in my job, especially now with Google Sheets. I was able to transfer those skills that I learned um, there. And even if I forget something, I have like a sheet sheet um, to be able to think like, okay, this, these are the commands that I need to do if I want to merge something uh, from one spreadsheet to another. In your introductory note to us, you mentioned that the Oregon Commission for the Blind got very proactive and creative in helping you land your first job with a company that maybe might have had some reticence about hiring somebody who was blind and hard of hearing. Well, yeah, I mean, before it was, um, you know, because 10 years can make a difference, no, 10 years plus COVID can make a big difference in finding a job and being more creative. I mean, before that, they they wanted um, more of a focus on traditional jobs or mainstream jobs, or maybe before that, they wanted blind people to not focus on blindness-specific jobs because, you know, there's, there used to be this piano tuning school where I learned how to tune pianos, but then they had to go out of business because not many blind people felt like there was a need for blind people to do more blindness-specific jobs. They wanted to do more like mainstream jobs. But now they come around and they are starting to really work with people from various marginalized communities and being more creative in their funding because now they can say, okay, we've got the funding to be able to pay the client's wages and reimburse the employer. And the employer does not have to pay a cent out of their pocket to be able to train the new employee. And if they're really satisfied with them, they can go ahead and hire them. How long did they continue to pay your wages? So that's three months. So that was great. That basically gave you enough time to learn the job, the employer enough time to get to know you and get to respect your skills level. And at the end of three months? At the end of three months, they were very sad by what I did. And yeah, they went ahead and hired me. You know, it was so exciting to be able to finally get a job of my own. Did they suggest this employer or was this an employer that you had in mind? How much help and how many contacts did they have? Yeah, let me tell you about that because it was interesting. My job coach was trying to find just the right business for me to work with because, you know, I was very hesitant about working with mainstream jobs. But I, you know, I'm part of a choir, um, an all sort of LGBTQIA related choir. And I found out one day that they were going to have this presentation by a company uh, about a vocal workshop and so I asked them at the end of the presentation, you know, if there was any possibility that they could hire me because I heard them say I hire people sometimes. And they said, why don't you go and send me your resume and I'll take a look at it. And if there's anything that, um, you know, we like, we'll contact you for an interview. So I went ahead and did that. I also asked them some basic interview, informational interview questions like, uh, what is the most help that you need right now? And um, how, what can, how can I support you with that? So, you know, it's a two-way street. I sent them my resume and then, you know, they could look at it. And then also kind of ask them what they would really like support with. So I went to that interview with my job coach and we kind of talked back and forth. And, you know, they asked me questions. I asked them questions. My job coach asked some questions. And in the end, it was a really good job fit because I thought about, you know, starting my own business. And, you know, I had the resources and stuff like that. But I realized, you know, there's already a company that's doing this, this exact same thing. 
So they really did shepherd you through the process and help you pretty aggressively find a job as coaches. Yeah. Or a job developer. Job developers are like more of the, um, they actually do the research. They develop your resume, they contract businesses, and then the job coach um, does the actual coaching. Had this employer had any experience hiring visually impaired people in the past? They have not, although I think they have taught people who were blind. I'm curious what kind of reaction you had on your job interview then, if this was kind of a first for them to think about hiring a blind employee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My job coach recommended that they do a disability awareness training so they could talk to them about blindness and hearing loss and things like the HKNC, Helen Keller National Center, and the resources available to them. Oh, wow. That's very useful to train the employer in terms of how to make the interaction go smoothly. What a great idea. Yeah, they did that during my internship, actually. So, And it sounds like in addition to everything that the Oregon Commission for the Blind did and your job coach did, you're very proactive and you came up with, you know, let's see if I can make this happen. And I'm sure that was a big help, too. Yeah, it was because it took a little bit of networking, obviously, something I learned. I was actually a part of a job networking club and they told us networking is a really big help. I volunteered so much and I wanted to work for the places that I volunteered at, but never could. But luckily, I knew people who did those kinds of things. So I kind of said, okay, uh, I can try to ask for support in finding these resources. And I was able to do that. So because I'm so good at, you know, stuff like that, um, they decided to hire me as a public relations associate. So that kind of helped build those relationships. And during your internship, was the Commission for the Blind still involved in coaching and monitoring and things like that? Oh, yeah, definitely, because they were the ones paying for my wages, so they had to do that. Yeah, um, and get feedback from my employer, of course. Uh, make sure it was a good job fit, but it was good. Were there any big roadblocks that you had to overcome? I and mean, this was your first job, their first experience with a blind person? Actually, no, um, because I've had summer jobs before. I've had a couple of summer jobs in 2010. 2011, 2012. Uh, first one was at a meal preparation, set up at a restaurant in a hospital. The next two summer jobs were at the Commission for the Blind Tech Center. So I kind of helped with basic web design and stuff like that. Um, but it was, those weren't really as involved as the three month work experience or internship. Yeah, it was definitely a new experience, but also um, very, you know, very helpful too. And even before that, I was. Um, actually got to do a temporary job as a phone banker because I've got experience from volunteering my time to be a phone banker and raise money for an organization or help you, um, you know, asking people to vote for a specific measure. And, you know, you kind of went past this pretty quickly, but all of those experiences as a volunteer, as a summer job, that's a great experience in terms of not only learning how you're supposed to act in the workplace, but in terms of having other people learn your capabilities and enabling you to ask them for recommendations. There's nothing like a good recommendation to help you get your next job. Yeah, that would definitely be a good thing because um, I'm actually looking for a couple of mentoring jobs. If I, if I can mentor um, other people maybe in you know other teenagers for example who are in the community and are wanting to get more support I could get a reference from my employer 
about what you know my skills are and things like that. So that, that can be really helpful too, because I actually completed a leadership training program two years ago. Well, just seeing the success of someone like yourself can be really motivational and inspirational to other people if they don't realize what can be done despite some obstacles that might be placed in your way, then they don't know what to strive for. Yeah, they don't. Um, and it's unfortunate because I, you know, I've been on social media, I've seen all these posts and after I've gone through what I've gone through, you know, I said, okay, I, I'll give you my suggestions. I'll, you know, this is what worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. So, you know, that's why I started a blog because I said, okay, I had this great experience. I'd like to share it. It's also nice that the Commission for the Blind didn't have you kind of typecast into these typical blindness jobs, call center, protected work environment, and other jobs like that, that they really were looking for real employment as a sighted person would have looked for themselves. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it used to be like that. It used to be, um, and I still wanted to do like piano tuning, for example. Um, and I knew with, even with my hearing challenges, it was going to be hard to be able to tune certain parts of the piano. But I'm still glad I learned that because uh, my job, you know, when we opened up two physical schools and one of those schools is in Vancouver, Washington, which is not too far from where I live. And I got to go there and tune some of their pianos. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your blog and what it contains, what it talks about? Yeah. So my blog is sensation-experience.com. Um, I got that idea from reading an article about autism. Um, not heard of uh, Carly Fleshman. I know she was pretty famous when she found her voice. But I've always wanted, wanted to know if you could actually be in their shoes, if you could actually feel what they felt. And I call it sensation experience because if you could experience what someone else's sensations were you could experience uh, like mindfulness for example meditation those kind of things can help you be more perceptive to what's around you in the world so my blog right now contains um right a myriad of different topics um but more or less try to you know come up with ideas on how to imp- integrate sensory related experiences and events and for example my, my skydiving adventures i've done skydiving i've done all these interesting hobbies and I try to write them as detailed as possible. Like I try to write them as if, you know, like so that if you were reading it, you'd feel like you were there. Like even if you didn't have a recording of it. I assume this skydiving um, experience was tethered to somebody else who had done it before. Yeah. And I understand you've written several books. Yeah. So in 2009, I went on a plane ride it was the very first plane ride I can remember because the first one that I went on, I could not. I was very little and I didn't remember it at all. But I was excited to be able to fly for the first time. And I wanted to share that experience with other blind people. Like, what if they had never gone flying before? And they were wanting to know how it felt or what they had to do. Nobody ever told me what I had to do before going to the airport or, you know, whatever. I tried reading online and stuff like that, but I didn't have internet, you know, at the time. So I ended up writing a book about your first flight which kind of goes through the basic steps from a blind person's perspective of what you would expect to go on a plane, how it feels, the different sensations, again, you know, what you would experience. So um, that one book I've written, the other one I wrote in 2012, I kind of wrote like a DIY guide of how to tune a piano. So like maybe you got a piano at a garage sale and um, you, you know, it sounded horrible and you wanted to tune it. And you didn't know how, or maybe you were interested in it, but, you know, maybe you could get a book 
and read about it and then say, okay, I guess I could do this. It's not meant to replace like hands-on instruction or even getting like a traditional piano tuning course. It's more just the way to begin, like a quick start guide, for example. And then my, one of my teachers, the visually impaired, asked me to write up like an autobiography, which I did. And then a couple of years ago, I visited it again after a couple of unfortunate events in my life. And I kind of went back and extended on it and turned it into like a fully fledged memoir, which I'd love to get published in. But I would like to publish that memoir so that I can try to maybe help my older brother improve his quality of life. As you could tell from what she just told you, Ulysses has devoted a lot of effort to sharing her experiences with others who might learn from them. And we are very glad she offered to come on Eyes on Success so our listeners could hear what she had to say about her ultimately successful job search. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Ulysses Garcia's work and how to contact her. You talked about several of your books and your blog. First, can you remind us where your blog can be found? Yeah, so my blog is at www.sensation-experience.com. And where can your books be found? My books are available on uh, right now on Amazon, Space, or Kindle Direct Publishing on Smashwords. And I believe I have a link to my blog to those books as well. And I have a Readly profile. So Readly is like a marketplace for uh, authors to connect with professionals in the book publishing industry. And if people had a question for you, how would they reach you? They can contact me um, by email at ulyssieshgarcia at outlook.com or in the contact form, which I'm working on uh, getting set up on my website, but they can use that too. And how do you spell Ulysses H. Garcia? So Ulysses H. Garcia is U-L-Y-S-S-E-S-H Garcia, G-A-R-C-I-A at outlook.com. There's one thing I want to mention real quick. So I did publish a Braille music course on Comtech USA. And how would people get that? So you could go to comtechusa.net, that's C-O-M-M-T-E-C-H, USA.net, slash courses, slash pro-audio. That's where it's located right now. And people can buy it. And it's a self-study course. And as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2209. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the benefits of hiring people who are blind or visually impaired. Welby Broadus is an active advocate for employment of the blind and visually impaired. We'll speak with Welby, who is visually impaired himself, about his new book that serves as a handbook for educating business owners, executives, and human resource professionals on the benefits of hiring individuals who are blind and visually impaired. And he lists quite a bunch of benefits that companies can get from hiring people with vision loss. So if you want to hear more about the ins and outs of employment for the visually impaired, tune in next week. Catch you then.
You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.